0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Physionic Podcast. Welcome back to the Physionic Podcast if you're a long-time listener. Uh, Today, well, actually my introduction real quick. My name is Nicholas Verhoeven. I'm a PhD candidate in molecular medicine and I have a background in nutrition science as well, uh, which are gonna be the two credentials I'll be relying on this time around. Uh, This podcast is going to be discussing the effect that different fatty acids, otherwise known as different fat molecules, the fat molecules that we consume in our food, saturated fats, and then unsaturated fats, be that mono or poly, how those affect our mitochondria and really the production of mitochondria. So is one type of fat better or more advantageous than another type of fat could one particular type of fat be detrimental to the uh, production of more mitochondria or mitochondrial activity as a whole and this is a really simple paper that we're going to be basing this information off of. Uh, so it shouldn't take too, too long to get through this, but, uh, and there's very little data to actually kind of discuss, but uh, there are going to be a few mechanisms, cellular mechanisms, to explain some of the outcomes that we end up seeing in the data itself. So the researchers did something really simple. All they did was take, I believe, human... Uh, Muscle cells and plated them onto a dish and then exposed them to different types of fatty acids in the media, in the liquid that is surrounding these muscle cells. So they did that with a variety of saturated fats and then a variety of unsaturated fats, and then they measured the amount of a particular molecule maybe I should actually take a step back because they didn't actually measure the amount of the molecule itself. They actually measured the gene expression for the production of that molecule. And I'll go into that molecule in just a little bit. The other thing that they looked at was mitochondrial activity. If you see greater levels or decreased levels of mitochondrial activity, mitochondria being the powerhouse of the cell, as people know, and So then they were able to kind of look at both of those and sort of see an association between uh, those two markers. And this molecule, uh, which is known as PGC1-alpha, is, and it has a really long name, like uh, peroxisome proliferating, et cetera. It's it's like really, really long. So uh, PGC1-alpha, however, is responsible for two main things. It's involved in many different other cellular processes and uh, a lot of different uh, systems that the the cell uses to function. But specifically in this context, PGC1-alpha, when it is increased, it typically, and is active, it typically uh, leads to greater production of mitochondria. So you get more mitochondria as a result. Now, the mechanism for that, let me go ahead and start jumping into that, and if if you're just listening to the podcast, of course, as usual, I'm going to be explaining things as I go throughout. So you don't have to look at the data, you don't have to look at the mechanisms, but if you want to, I have uh, visuals for, for all this stuff as well. So to look at a bit on the mechanism, so there's going to be two mechanisms that we're going to be going over. The first is, and both of them are mediated through PGC-1-alpha, so you get the upregulation, the production of PGC-1-alpha, so that it's a protein, a molecule that's found inside of the muscle cell. And well, it's found in a series of cells, but in this particular situation they're looking at muscle cells. So, with this PGC-1-alpha protein, it is found in the cytosol of the muscle cell. Meaning that is not found in any one of the organelles. So it's not found in the mitochondria. It's not found in the endoplasmic reticulum. It's not found in the nucleus. It's found in kind of the the area between all of these different uh, systems, all these different factories. So in the cytosol, it stays there until it's kind of uh, activated to bind or interact with other molecules. And one of those molecules is known as NRF. So what happens is both of those molecules, both of those proteins, I'm using those two words interchangeably, molecule and protein, those are both found in the cytosol. Now, for them to actually have an effect on the cell, they need to be able to what's called translocate, meaning that they move from the cytosol, they travel from the cytosol into the nucleus. And why would they want to move into the nucleus? They want to move into the nucleus because they want to bind particular genes that allow for the production of more mitochondria. So these genes have all of the genetic information necessary for the production of more mitochondria. So with that in mind, the mechanism is that PGC1-alpha becomes stimulated somehow, and these fatty acids are how that it gets stimulated or it gets dampened. And then it will interact with NRF, and they will translocate to the nucleus. And in the nucleus, they will bind their specific gene of interest. And that gene of interest is a gene that has the information for mitochondrial proteins. So then that gene gets read, and then we get the production of proteins that are specific to the mitochondria for the production of new mitochondria. So that's the first mechanism. Now, however, PGC-1-alpha doesn't just have an effect on on, uh, mitochondrial production, it also has an effect on fat metabolism. And it does so through a very similar mechanism, but not exactly the same. So this mechanism, again, PGC-1-alpha is in the cytosol of the cell, and then it interacts with another protein called PPAR. And PPAR and PGC1-alpha then interact, they translocate to the nucleus and they bind a different set of genes. And these genes have the information for the production of fat metabolism enzymes, meaning enzymes that can break down fat. They can break down fat to be able to generate energy out of those uh, fat molecules and can also uh, end up releasing fat. So there's a variety of different ways to look at it, but ultimately there is the production of more of these fat metabolism uh, enzymes. So then it focuses the cell to use more fat or to release fat depending on the type of cell that you're, you're talking about. So again, from in the cytosol, they bind, they interact with one another, then they move to their gene. And then once they bind that gene at a particular location known as a promoter, then from there, you get the recruitment of a, a lot of other proteins that are actually responsible for the, the reading of that gene. And then you get so on and so forth, you get the production of the protein eventually. Okay, so that's the background. That's it. That's all we need to know. And all we need to know on top of that is is that the, the researchers just threw on a bunch of fats in isolation to see what effect having those fats around the cells would, what effect that would have. So the first one we're going to be looking at is the first piece of data, I should say, that we're going to be looking at is the, the gene expression of PGC1-alpha. And PGC1 alpha, so again, we're not we're not necessarily looking at the amount of the molecule or the amount of the protein. Technically, it would need to go through another step. So is this a perfect measure of the amount of PGC1 alpha in the cells? It is not. It is a, a proxy measure through the measure of gene expression. So a different molecule, a different protein bound to the PGC1 alpha gene of interest, and then that gene, which encodes, has the information for PGC1-alpha, was then read. And you can imagine that if it's read more often, then most likely you'd have more PGC1-alpha. However, there are exceptions to to that rule. So we're kind of going through with this a little bit cautiously. We can't immediately jump to the conclusion that there's more PGC1-alpha, which admittedly, the researchers really should have done some measures for PGC1-alpha, but I digress. So what did they do? They they again, plated all these muscle cells, and then they added these fatty acids. They had uh, myristate, palmitate, stearate for their saturated fats. Then they had palmitoleate, it's always difficult to say, oleate, and linoleate, as their unsaturated fats, which an unsaturated fat is simply a fat molecule with a bend in it. It has a double bond, if you're uh, interested in chemistry. And then they had a condition where they combined one of the saturated fats, palmitate, with linoleate together. And they wanted to know what effect this would have. So, so if you're looking at the data, all of those bars are by comparison to the BSA condition. The BSA condition is literally no fat has been added. So in both of the two furthest left bars, there's no fat that's been added to the cells and that's our control condition. So then the comparison between those in all of these cells, once they're exposed to each one of these fats in equal concentration, what happens to PGC1-alpha gene expression? Do we see increases? Do we see no effect? What happens? Well, what we find, or what they found, is that with all the saturated fats, mirastate, palmitate, and stearate, there was no effect. So no increase in PGC1-alpha. However, with all of the unsaturated fats, there was an increase in PGC-1-alpha gene expression. Remember, PGC-1-alpha is related to fat metabolism, as well as greater increases in mitochondria. Now, I remember, remember, I mentioned briefly that they also had a combination where they had palmitate, which is a saturated fat and linoleate, which is an unsaturated fat. And they threw both of those together. And they found that although palmitate alone did not have an effect on PGC-1-alpha and linoleate did have an effect on PGC-1-alpha, increasing p- PGC-1-alpha, when they combined them, you might think kind of mathematically, maybe there's a small effect, but no, it turned out that linoleate, most likely linoleate led to an equal effect as if linoleate was in the, around the cells alone. So, that means that linoleate has this effect on PGC-1 alpha activity. So, or gene expression, I should say. So, that's an interesting piece of data. That means unsaturated fats are exciting this this increase in PGC-1 alpha and the saturated fats are having no effect on PGC-1 alpha. Now, the only only piece of data left is... Uh, the a measure of mitochondrial activity. And this is kind of a proxy measure of uh, do we see greater activity and therefore maybe we have greater content of mitochondria. So maybe we have more mitochondria as a result. Maybe we have the production of more uh, fat metabolism enzymes, um, like oxidative phosphorylation enzymes. If you've been following Physionic, you know you may have seen me discuss oxidative phosphorylation. That's a whole metabolic uh, part of the mitochondria. It's a crucial part of the mitochondrion. and PGC-1 alpha is responsible, or PGC-1 in general, if that's alpha or beta, uh, have an effect on the production of these these proteins, these particular molecules that are involved in fat metabolism. So, what happened when they again the exact same exact same experiment? with the addition of these individual saturated fats, or with the addition of these unsaturated fats. And what we find is that there's no effect for two of the saturated fats, and that's by comparison to control, which again had no fat added to the media, to the cells. So there's no effect from mere state and palmitate. However, really intriguingly, stearate does decrease the level of activity of the mitochondrion. So that is really, really interesting. Now, why might that be? Before I go on to the, to the unsaturated fats, why would you get a decrease in the activity with stearate, but not with the other saturated fats? I mean, they're all saturated fats, right? Well, th- I don't know the answer for sure, but m- I mean, almost, almost guaranteed it is because of the chemical structure of stearate. So, Mirastate is a short, a relatively short fatty acid, a short fat molecule. When I'm saying fatty acid and fat molecule, they're synonymous. So mirastate is a 14 carbon fat molecule. Palmitate is a 16 carbon fat molecule. So you're getting longer, right? And stearate is an 18 carbon fat molecule. However, it does not have a double bond like you would find in these unsaturated fats. So for some reason, most likely that the, the, the chemical structure, that's, that would be my thought process, the chemical structure of stearate leads to this reduction in mitochondrial activity. If that's uh, because you get more loss of PGC-1-alpha, maybe it, it, it blocks the ability for PGC-1-alpha to function, maybe you, you have more or you have less of uh, NRF or you have less of PPAR, And therefore, you don't have as much of that uh, interaction between PGC-1 alpha and PPAR and NRF. There's 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 a litany of different reasons as to you know why that might be the case. So with unsaturated fats, however, they did see in all conditions there was an increase in. Uh, mitochondrial activity. So this is an association with the increase in PGC-1 alpha. So in all the unsaturated fats, we saw increases in PGC-1 alpha. And with all the unsaturated fats, we also see an increase in mitochondrial activity. Now, I don't believe that they compared between the different unsaturated fats. But if you were to look at the graphs, you would think that oleate would be the most potent one when it comes to that, but we can't actually make that conclusion because they didn't run any statistics on that. So all that we really know is that it seems to have a increase in mitochondrial activity with all the unsaturated fats. Now, again, they did combine palmitate and linoleate and they found that yet again, that the linoleate effect as an unsaturated fat, which did increase mitochondrial activity was kind of kind of got rid of the lack of an effect in palmitate. So remember, palmitate is a saturated fat, and that had no effect on mitochondrial activity, decrease or increase, but linoleate did increase mitochondrial activity. So that's really interesting. Again, that means that maybe a paired diet where you're consuming unsaturated fats and saturated fats may lead to some sort of protective effect that the the you're still going to see this increase in activity that that's of course assuming that uh that's again of course assuming that this increase in activity is a positive now generally it is considered a positive now just a bit of caution because that's only two pieces of data, and they only had three pieces of data total for this particular paper. But with those two pieces of data, they are kind of proxy measures, and you would absolutely want far more data to actually jump to any sort of specific conclusions on. Uh, the effect that saturated fats or unsaturated fats have on mitochondria and PGC1-alpha. Because like I said, with PGC1-alpha, they're looking at gene expression. It is possible for a gene to be expressed for you to get the production of the next uh, substance. I don't want to go too, too specific, but RNA. And then that RNA can be uh, degraded. So it never actually gets turned into protein. So that's a possibility. Now, if we assume that that's not the case with this data, then we kind of are kind of taking a, a big uh, leap here and assuming that the gene expression of PGC1-alpha did lead to the production of more of these, uh, these uh, PGC1-alpha proteins. And then w- with the activity, there are a number of different ways to measure mitochondrial activity. There are a number of different ways to measure mitochondrial content. So, it would have been nice if they'd added at least probably like two more measures of mitochondrial activity and content, and probably uh, one protein measure of PGC1-alpha to actually see how much of the actual protein was present. So those would be some of my critiques of the the, the study itself. And of course, there's much more that they could have done, but just kind of on a really base level, that's what I would have loved to have seen. Now, In conclusion, what does that mean? Well, it means that saturated fats, if we go with this assumption that mitochondria having an increase in mitochondrial activity, having an increase in PGC1 alpha is a positive, which is a big assumption here because we're just kind of going out of context here. But if we make that assumption, then that would mean that saturated fats are far less helpful uh, in in the, the activity and the production of mitochondria because they don't seem to have a positive effect on PGC1-alpha. Not that they have a negative effect, but they don't seem to have a positive effect. However, then stearate, specifically the saturated fat stearate, which is something you can look up in, in your food items as well to see how much stearate is, is present, then that particular fatty acid did decrease the activity of mitochondria. Now, something that would need to be confirmed by other measures as well. But if that did hold true, then that means that the saturated fat stearate is the worst for mitochondrial activity and mitochondrial content potentially. While the unsaturated fats, all of them had positive effects in increasing mitochondrial activity. And on top of that, they seem to, at least with uh, palmitol- Palmitoliate or wait, wait, is it was, uh, let me pull this up one more time. Uh, linoleate, excuse me, linoleate and palmitate. I was like confused, I was jamming those two words together. So with, we saw that with palmitate, which is the saturated fat, um, that was then the, the effect or the lack of effect was removed once you added that unsaturated fat on there. So Can we necessarily say that's the case with all the saturated fats or all the unsaturated fats? No, we can't. We can't say that. But if, again, we make a small assumption here that that would hold true for all the other unsaturated fats, that would then mean that potentially... the, the combination of saturated fats and unsaturated fats leads to a protective effect by unsaturated fats, even though there is a presence of uh, saturated fats. Now, of course, then you have to figure out what's the ratio of that and etc., etc., which of course they didn't they didn't go into. Okay, that's what I've got for you. Hopefully you found this informative. Uh, it's definitely a bit of molecular biology, uh, mitochondria, cell biology with mitochondrial content, and things like that. But Hopefully you found this informative. And with that, I hope to have the pleasure of speaking with you in the next one. Have a good one, guys. See ya.